I'm Greg Rockefeller. I'm Beth Rockefeller. And I'm Mia Rockefeller. And this is Reading with the Rockefellers, a family book club podcast. Today, we are discussing Red Queen by Victoria Aveyard. So grab a copy and join us on this literary journey. It's been going on for the better part of the last hundred years. I don't think it should even be called a war anymore, but there isn't a word for this higher form of destruction. In school, they told us it started over land. The lakelands are flat and fertile, bordered by immense lakes full of fish, not like the rocky forested hills of Norda, where the farmlands can barely feed us. Even the silvers felt the strain, so the king declared war, plunging us into a conflict neither side could really win. This is Reading with the Rockefellers, and this is the Red Queen, chapters 3 and 4. So the uh, first paragraph there gives us a little bit of information about the war, a little geographical information about the war and what's... uh, This is all, again, from Mayor's point of view. Um, A little bit more about... Let's go a little bit more into the war itself and what really started the war as far as what we as far as we know now uh well clearly it started over land and they both both sides had something that the other wanted so uh they just the king was just like yep war i guess yeah and i i think that's how war started in general it's usually over something that's not really necessary, but what's I think a little more important is the geography we get into a little bit mm-hmm. with the war. And she talked about the Lakelands and Norda. Give us a little more information on what we're looking at geographically. Uh, the Lakelands are north of Norda, and if you if you go with like uh, you know the geography of North America now, Norda is the like. Uh, northeast uh, going like the part of the northeast coast and then goes in towards the west. Okay. Um, and the Lakelands are the very north and like Canada. Like north of, the north of the United States and Canada. So we're like where the Great, where, like where the Great Lakes used to yeah. be. Yeah. Exactly. In effect. They're kind of separated by the Great Lakes. Okay. And then um, when we discussed the war I think a theme that kind of pops up and they talk about a lot throughout the books is the choke. Yeah. Explain what that is a little bit. The choke is where most of the war is being fought. It's been contained to the small stretch of land for the majority of the time it's been going on. And it's so destroyed by all the bombs and all the fighting that's been going on there for a century that it's destroyed and us uh, covered in smoke so it's very difficult to see and just difficult to breathe there it's pretty much described in the book as where the conscripted mm-hmm. go to die yeah basically you're looking at just military forces going in over and over and over and no one can really get anywhere so they're just it's a death sentence where the mm-hmm. description is. Or yeah. you can end up like Mare's father in a wheelchair. So, um, now, we got a little bit of an idea of the war. This is from Mare's point of view. We went into a little war and a little bit about the choke. 
Um, we heard, found out the war was between Norda and the Lakelanders, um, the Lakelands. Back to the story itself, after we talk about the war here, um, Mare is on a mission at this point to try to find a way to get Kalorn out of conscription. Mm -hmm. So she's coming up with an escape plan. What is their plan? Do they come up with a plan in this chapter? Uh, yes, they come up with the plan that they, uh, Mare knows these smugglers, you know, like the black market, uh, and if they can smuggle items in and out of the stilts, who's to say that they can't just smuggle people? So she's going to find one of her friends on the black market and see if they can get her in Kalorn somewhere safe. And this would be someone that she's worked with before because as a pickpocket and a thief, she probably takes things that she can hawk mm -hmm. and then turn over for money. Um, okay, and who is it that she goes to see? Who is this smuggler person that she's looking to see? Uh, to a new character. Her friend, almost friend? Air quotes friend. Air quotes friend named Will. Okay. And what do we do we find what do we find out about Will in this chapter? Um he's part of a larger smuggling network that no one knows really what to call it. No one knows what it's officially called, but everyone knows, you know, all of the pickpockets know that it exists. Okay, so Mare is here to see her smuggler friend, air quotes. Mm -hmm. Will. Um, and the plan is to see if he can, since he smuggles things out, to see if he can smuggle people out and mm -hmm. get them out of the still so they can avoid conscription. Mm -hmm. How does this How does this go? When she first gets there, he actually tells her no, that he can't do it. And she starts begging him to at least hear her out because she's so desperate to save Kalorn. When he sees how desperate she is, he finally lets her in. When she looks over to see who it is, she can hardly see her. Um, and it's a woman, a girl, because she's not that much older than Mare, uh, but a lot taller. She has a gun that's clearly not legal. And she is not from the stilts, and Mare doesn't even think she's from Norda. Uh, and so this is a new character we're meeting. Mm -hmm. um, so who is this character? Will introduces her as Farley. How, where does Mare go from here? She's trying to get Will to help her. He says no. Finally, he relents because she begs. Mm -hmm. So she's inside now. Is she going to be able to get them to help her smuggle, help her, her smuggle Kalorn out? Yeah. So she talks to Farley, and she finds out the price. She's going to need to pay Farley to get her and Kalorn uh, somewhere a, safe. It's a lot more money than someone of her means would have. Oh, yeah. It's a fortune. To a red. Yeah. To a silver, it's nothing, it's nothing. but to a red, it's right. more money than Giza would make all year, pretty much. Right. So it's it's a resolution to her problem, but it poses and creates yet another problem. problem. Yeah. Yeah. So she can get it done, but now she's got to find a way to get money. Yeah. Um, are there any other things we learn about Farley at this point? Uh, she's kind of shadowy, I know, mysterious early on. Yeah, not much. She's very mysterious. Uh... She says, when she accepts, uh, to, she accepts the mission, uh, she says the Scarlet Guard accepts, not I accept, so. And is this the first 
mention or that time that Maris heard the Scarlet Guard. This yeah. phrase this is a big phrase in the book. This is the first mention of the Scarlet Guard. In okay. The book. In chapter three, we also get some other interesting use of language uh, from the author that we can kind of use as foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. Right. So tell us, tell us a little bit about what that is. It's it's, it's, it's mentioned at least twice in this chapter that yeah. we can we picked out. It's mentioned twice in this chapter. So let's go to the first one. The first one is when Mare and Kalorn are actually talking about finding a way to get them out. And when Mare has the idea, the author says, uh, hits me like a bolt of lightning. Okay. Why wouldn't it just be like, you know, a light bulb moment or something like Why specifically that? It's a Correct. little curious. And then when you throw it in with the second time, let's, let's hear the second one. The second time is when Mare is trying to figure out a way to get this much money. She has an idea, and it says, for the second time tonight, lightning strikes. Like she had an idea, but both times she's, the authors refer to it with lightning. Yeah. So this is something that, when we've, we notice, it's early in the books right now, but it's something that we notice really early on is the use of foreshadowing and the use of things to kind of hint at things. You don't notice mm -hmm. it until later, but... That's the lightning it's a good issue. Thing the to lightning, keep in mind. from Mayor's point of view, is a good thing to keep in mind. Correct. Mm -hmm. um, so she now knows she has a time frame. What's her time frame on this to, um, to get the money so that she can get out of there? It's two days, I believe. Two days. Yeah, okay. a little under two days. So she's got to get this money. So she goes home, and her plan. You know, is this that she comes up with a plan? Did she come up with this with Giza, or is this something that Giza comes up with? Who comes up with this plan, ultimately, of how to get the money? Mare comes up with the plan, but she needs Giza's help. It is Giza pretty accepted, accepted to the uh, the idea, or mm -hmm. does she have to be, yeah, she wants to help? No, no, like, argument or anything. Just, yep, mm-hmm, I'll do it. So, what is the plan that they come up with? They come up with the idea that Mare is going to go with Giza to Somerton when she goes to work. Okay. And Giza's going to go work like she normally does, and Mare is going to try stealing from Silvers. Okay, and Somerton is, we've established where, like, the Royals and the Silvers go, and basically, like, their summer homes, mm -hmm. right? Their vacation. So, has Mare... Stolen from Silvers on a regular basis before, or is it something she more steals from Reds when she pickpockets? She steals from Reds. The maybe she's stolen from like a silver officer, like a security officer, uh, in the stilts, but that's the closest to what she's gonna have to do. Right, because the Silvers, as we know, are dress very. Opulent. They have a lot of a lot of money, and they show it. I mean, mm -hmm. compared the Reds, comparatively speaking, are poor no matter what. So, any amount you're going to steal from a silver is going to be like a fortune, right? To a Red, and that's what she's trying to do is trying to get that the silvers because she needs that much money mm -hmm. in two days, and there's no other way to get it. So, they come up with an idea. They're going to go to Summerton. And Giza's going to help her get in, which is dangerous for Giza, mm -hmm. but she's willing to do this for her sister. 
Um, so what happens at this point? Is that where we where we end the third chapter, or are they going into Summerton, correct? Yeah, the third chapter ends with them going into Summerton together, and it ends right when Giza leaves Mare to go work. Okay. So we're at the end of the third chapter here. Where Let's go over just a little bit from this chapter. Um, we've been introduced to, to Farley, mm-hmm. who's a character that we want to make sure everyone takes note of because she's going to be a character you're going to see a lot of in the future. Um, and we've heard the Scarlet Guard referred to now. Mm-hmm. And Mare has never heard of this, um, but these are all things that are going to kind of come around again later in the books, and we want to just point those out. And then the lightning, the use of the phrasing lightning mm-hmm. is one of the things I want you to write down at home. Just like when we wrote down in Chapter 2 from Shade's letter, I had you write down, it's red as the dawn mm-hmm. here, because that's something that we're going to be discussing again as well. Um, anyone have any other thoughts on any of the new characters we met, Farley or Will? We didn't get really a lot from Farley at this point, did we? No, not really. So, um, anyone have any thoughts or anything about this chapter that we want to talk about before we move on to Chapter 4? Um... The cities that we kind of want to go over, we went over Summerton. Right. Again. Archeon, that's the capital of Norder, correct? Mm-hmm. And uh, um, Nord is the one that's at war, obviously. Yeah. One of the two. It's where everything takes place. Right. And Archeon is the... Yeah. That's capital the, city. It's the capital is kind of like the, yeah. me, the epicenter of yeah. everything that has to do with Norda. Yeah. It's where the, where like the main palace is and everything. I just think it's such an interesting dichotomy that there's so many of these little red villages and things, but what the real quote-unquote cities are, are where the silvers go. So the, the major cities, the ones that get names, are the silver-established cities or where the royal family travels to. Like an entire city springs up around them when they go spend the summer months in Summerton and the whole economy travels with them. Yeah. So it's really interesting to see how right from the beginning, the author is showing us the difference in red and silver is not just blood. Yeah. Blood is a huge part of it, but through that has come this caste system where the silvers are at the top and the reds are at the bottom. There's an interesting line um, that was used when they were talking about, you know, being able to move through Somerton and pickpocket the silvers. Um, Mare says, fortunately, no one pays attention to another red servant, another insect at the feet of gods. So it's, it's really vivid imagery about how the reds perceive themselves even you know they're just have been beaten into submission over years and years and years and years of silver rule and if they don't uh if they don't fall in line with what the silvers want the reds know there's always going to be somebody with abilities that's going to come in possibly kill them possibly kill their family you know they really have no idea what's going to happen so right off the bat you know we're only in chapter three but right off the bat the author has given us a lot to think about with her wording and the way that she phrases things yeah it shows just how powerful the silvers really are and 
how much the Reds fear them. Yeah, and I think there's the power, but there's also just, I mean, you're talking over 100 years that we know the war has been going on. That it's been like this. So we're just generation after generation after generation, which means these the Reds are raised as children to fear and be in awe of Silvers. Regardless of if that's 100% the truth, that they're actually godlike. Yeah. So there's so much, like you were talking about, um, about she does a good job of um, showing how, where the Reds are compared to the Silvers. It's not just because, it's because of the power, the abilities the Silvers have, but it, it's because more so that the Reds are where they are. Because there's more, many more Reds than there are Silvers. We know that. Yeah, reds vastly outnumber the silvers. It's fear that's kept them there and throughout generations. And it's so much so that the silvers basically use red lives in the war to fight a petty war over nothing, basically. That could have ended like 50 years ago. At least. At, at least. And they're continuing to fight it because they can, because to them they can just take whatever reds whenever they want and send them in there. And it's a chance for the silvers that do fight, the silver royalty that go in there, to puff up their chest and talk about military strength and look strong because everything in the silvers is about strength. Yeah, it's, and perception. Right, the perception of strength is all it really is. Yeah. As long as you think you're they're strong, that's what is more important than being strong. Yeah, we touched in episode one in Shade's letter about how there were hardly any silvers around where Shade was at the choke, and that just goes to show you, like we said in episode one, that. The Silvers are so confident of where they're at that they're leaving thousands of Red soldiers basically unsupervised because they're so confident that they know where their place is. And I think that uh, we're touching on that so much because they're at the beginning of the book, there's no sign of Silver vulnerability. It's, it's a very clear line. And spoiler alert, but... We're going to see that line get crossed here pretty soon. But up until this point, there's been a hundred years of just ironclad silver rule over reds, like Greg said, through absolute fear. Yeah. yeah. And it doesn't matter if there are any cracks. All that matters is how they're covered. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That's... Something that the author does a good job of is showing how the silvers, as we'll see as we get on, cover the cracks. Yeah. Um, so now in chapter four, we move on to chapter four, and we start seeing, you know, some really, really big plot points happen here. Uh, tell us how chapter four starts off. Chapter four starts off with Mare trying to tell herself that being a, trying to pickpocket from these silvers is just like stealing from anybody. You know, she's done it a thousand times. Doesn't matter who you're stealing from, you know, they're still not going to notice. But how much of this is her hyping herself up because they're silvers, and again, she's been raised to fear silvers and think that they're way above her. Yeah, it's all just her trying to convince herself that she can do it. But, you know. So, does she uh, pick any pockets? What, what exactly happens? Because I know there's a big kind of um, thing that happens here real soon that is going to change a lot of things. Where is Mayor when this happens, when the uh, broadcast comes through? So she's, you know, walking through the square of Somerton, 
and she finds a bar that's really crowded, and she thinks, you know, crowded bar, perfect place, no one's gonna notice if a couple coins go missing from, you know, in this crowd. And while she's there, she's, the emergency broadcast comes through. Real quick before you jump on that, I just want to touch on something that I noticed when I was rereading. Um, as she's walking around the market, she notices that there are cameras everywhere. Yeah. That when silvers are around, somebody is always watching. There's almost always a surveillance camera somewhere. And not only that, but there are these huge video screens all over the square which they don't have in the stilts. Nobody has a TV. There's no, there's nothing like that. So she's seeing what they consider to be technology they take for granted that people in the stilts have never even seen. So she's walking around and she's looking at these monitors and they're showing things like old arena battles, like just reminding the reds that are there what the silvers can do mm -hmm. and allowing silvers to look and be like, look what we can do. And then it's also the news. And then like all of these just like opulent TV programs that Mare can't even comprehend mm -hmm. what they are. Like she knows she's looking at a quote unquote TV show, but it's so far outside of how she lives her normal life that she just can't even begin to process what it is she's looking at. Yeah. So she, then she wanders into this bar and it's like, all right, let's steal some stuff, but gets interrupted. Yeah. And the, the yeah, the cameras also, she's freaked out. That's like, I can't pit pockets here. Somebody's always Everything's watching. watching. There's something yeah. watching. Right. So it's kind of kind of changed. I think she was really shaken. She's expecting there's going to be silvers. But all this new stuff just really throws her yeah, off. Yeah, she really wasn't expecting what she walked um, into with Summertime. Bef before we move on, we'll get right to the broadcast. But before that... How does she get in? Because you can't just waltz into Summerton. Yeah. How does Mare get in? She gets in with Giza. Because Giza works there because she has the talent where she's able mm -hmm. to do, like, what is it? She's a seamstress. Yeah. Yeah, we touched on that in yeah. episode one. So she goes in with Giza. How does Giza get her in past the Silvers? Is this, is this a difficult, like, James Bond type stuff? Or is no. it really not even that hard? It's not that hard. Super it's easy. Barely an inconvenience. Again, it's it's because the Silvers see the Reds as so below them. So trivial. Why would they even bother to check a Reds identification? Right. Is that it what, doesn't even matter. So what exactly happened? So Giza gets Mare past the security officer by saying that Mare is there to help her with her apprenticeship that day. You know, carrying her stuff, whatever. It works. The Silvers are like, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because the royal family's in town, so there's always going to be extra people there when the royal family's in town anyway. Exactly. And the silver guards are just sitting there flipping through their iPhones. <laughs> right, they're on Instagram <laughs> or whatever. Whatever. 10,000 years care. after Instagram. Yeah, they don't care. And um, also, the only thing that they really do is check Mare's ID card. Just to, just like, you know, compare it with the pictures to make sure it's her. Just right. that she's not lying about her identity. Yeah, and I, I think Giza did identify her as her sister. She said, this is my sister, and she's helping me yeah. Yeah. with my job today. So it's easy to get in. They get in. Mare's freaked out by all these cameras mm -hmm. and all the screens, so she pulls. She goes into this bar, and she thinks, maybe I can pick a pocket in here and get enough. So what happens when she's in the bar getting ready to try to pick a pocket? 
an emergency broadcast comes through. And just to, like, give you a gauge, this is not a normal thing. It was, it's an interruption of whatever was normally going on, and it's panicky. They didn't know that this was going to happen. It's a complete surprise. So, like, yeah. silvers don't get surprised very all often. All these screens that are showing all these things are all now at once showing this broadcast. Mm-hmm. Switch to the broadcast, yeah. Okay. So even the, even the silvers stop and are like, what? Yeah. This even freaks silvers out, and that's not an easy thing to do. So no. what happens in this broadcast? The newscaster says that there was a bombing of West Archeon, which is the part of Archeon where all of the royal family would normally be had they not just gone to Somerton. Wow. So this is the capital, the, the, and not just the capital, like the top of the, the capital building of the capital city. Yeah, yeah. it's like basically. the White House being destroyed right. while the president is at his vacation home. Exactly. It's exactly like that. Yeah. Okay, so um, do they give any details on this report? They, at first, they don't know who um, did it. They just know that there was a, a bombing. bombing. And everyone, immediately, all the Silvers blame the Lakelanders. Because they That's think... That's who you're at war with. Yeah. They think they finally decided to make a move. And down past the choke. Down past the choke, yeah. Can you read us what the first opening line of the broadcast is that the that the newscaster says because i found that opening line very interesting silvers of norda we apologize for the interruption 13 minutes ago there was a terrorist attack in the capital yeah did you notice the only thing that the only words that she used in the beginning silvers of norda yeah silvers they're not even talking to the reds right because they don't see the reds they don't they don't even see them. them are like I mean, I don't want to say cockroaches because I guess at least the Reds seem to form some some kind of a function for them, but that's really... Ants. They're like ants. Sort of. I mean, yeah, it's just, it's crazy how how little regard they show Reds at all, even just your normal silver. Yeah. It's yeah. really crazy. So, the broadcast goes on, the Silvers are all freaking out. Mm-hmm. They're mad this, at the Lakelanders. The Lakelanders, thinking they're about they're, this war is getting escalated now. What happens next? Uh, the I'm going to read the actual quote from the newscaster. She says, It seems an organization has taken responsibility for the Archeon bombing. A terrorist group calling themselves the Scarlet Guard released this video moments ago. Wow. So we're going to read you... We're going to go with the video here in a minute. But this is the Scarlet Guard. This is exactly <laughs> who... Said Farley said, accepts Mayor's request that yeah. she can get the money. So she went from not hearing of this group ever before in her life to hearing of them twice in a very short period of yeah, time. Yeah, in the same day. So we we get the sense that the Scarlet Guard is here and ready to make their presence known. In a yeah, and I, and I have a feeling the Scarlet Guard, the name Scarlet Guard, was not chosen. Randomly, I have a feeling that clearly with the color of blood being an important distinction here. Right. That there's going to be meaning there. So, um, okay. Can you read us what the response is? Yeah, let's let's read the uh, the train the second broadcast the response from the Scarlet was, Guard. Yeah, yeah the Scarlet then we'll break Guard. that down. Okay. So I'm gonna read the entire thing. That's fine. Uh, 
We are the Scarlet Guard, and we stand for the freedom and equality of people, the woman says. I recognize her voice. Farley. So Mayor knows this is Farley. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Starting with the Reds. Oh, because in the video, she has her face covered yes. by a scarf. In the video, we can't see her face. All so you can, she can see only, is her hair and her eyes. Yeah, she can identify Farley by her eyes, her hair, and her voice. Yeah. Gotcha. You believe you are the masters of the world, but your reign as kings and gods is at an end. Until you recognize us as human, as equal, the fight will be at your door. Not on a battlefield, but in your cities, in your streets, in your homes. You don't see us, and so we are everywhere. And we will rise up, red as the dawn. So, episode one, I had you write down another line from Shade's letter, it's red as the dawn here, he was writing about mm -hmm. from, from the choke. Now we hear red as the dawn, again, almost seems like a slogan for the Scarlet Guard. Yeah, or mm -hmm. at least like some code words Rally to where you can Correct. use that with another person and say, oh, did you see how red the dawn was this morning? And all of a sudden you can identify whether or not yeah. you're talking to somebody sympathetic so, to the cause. Right. Like a, a code word. Yeah. Right. Kind of code and this brings us back to Shade using it. Clearly, this was not just the author of the book foreshadowing. This is clearly meant to be there, and Shade clearly was indicating something yeah. before Mayor even knew mm -hmm. that the Scarlet Guard existed. Yeah. There were some other quotes that I found interesting as well. Um, the Obviously, the parts of Uranus, kings and gods, has come to an end, again, referring to themselves as gods basically you, and mm -hmm. you don't you don't even see us we're everywhere yeah yeah you don't notice us and so we're right. everywhere yeah that's you know when they can say it's coming to your city your streets your homes you don't see us therefore we are everywhere you that's letting silvers know like look at any red that's working in your home, that's working around you, that, of which there you know, are more your gardener, of, there's or like whatever. Probably five know. to ten reds for every silver, even in the silver yeah. cities, because there's so many Yeah, they rely on servants. them to do all the things they don't want them to do. So and even, it's going to put them on edge to be like, oh, you better watch your back, because you never know which one of these reds is going to be involved in this. And even talking about, like, you know, the royals, the, the highest, it's like, look at the servants that work in your palace. Yeah. Right. You you, you don't any know. red, you don't know who it could be. Um one last little thing I want to touch on. Um and and Mia and I have had this conversation, so we'll bring you in on it now, Greg. Um Farley uses the phrase recognize us as humans, as equal. Do you think silvers are human? Yes. Yes. See, we disagree on this. I was going to tell you earlier, but we disagree on this. Because to me, it shows that silvers have had like a certain type of evolution that we haven't seen in humans. But We've, does that mean that they're not human? That's what I'm asking. Because at this point in time, right now, where we're reading the books, we have roughly... 10, 12,000 years of human recorded history. And then from where we are now to where the book is, it's a, like 1,200 years in the future. I... Something like that. So we have much more of recorded human history than what the time span is between now and when this book takes place. 
So do humans, do silvers evolve out of the humanity that we have now? Is this a world that's not, that's not uh, attached to our own? right now it's not our world 1200 years in the future like where where do you think silvers with abilities came from they there's actually uh the author brings that up in a later book i think it's in broken throne um in another book and she talks about how silvers came to be it's all technically a theory from a character within the series so that it could be integrated easily, but uh, considering that it came directly from the author, it's probably how it happened. Uh, they, after the war, whatever, that destroyed the planet, left it in this post-apocalyptic type state that the Silvers rose from, uh, the, they think that the radiation from all of the, you know, they think that radiation is what created silvers. It was something radioactive that changed their blood and gave them abilities. And it just happened over generations. It got stronger until they became full, the full silvers that in the series we know. So then at some point in time, we're kind of understanding that silvers and reds didn't live in the close proximity that they do now? I think it was like a kind of a natural selection and they there are the people that were exposed to all that radiation and there were the people that weren't and those that were exposed to that radiation over the generations you know their children their children's children it got stronger until they became silvers and then those that weren't are what the reds are. And that's why they're just like the humans we have today. Fair. Yeah. We can revisit this when we come back. Yeah. See, I think for me, at this point, and I'm reading something now because I'm about halfway through the third book. So I'm reading something now that actually discusses that. The, one of the last chapters when she was reading books that she had discussed. But it was talking about one of the ancient writings had specifically said something about and it was from Red's point of view talking about silvers and how there were weren't very many of them and they were weak they were completely different they were outcasts and the Reds didn't trust them because of their abilities and things like that so they started popping up and when Mayor was reading it she was freaking out she was like no way Reds would ever be this way to silvers but apparently or at the beginning mm -hmm. that's how Reds treated silvers because they were terrified of them because their abilities and they were different. Yeah, when they first when they first came to be, they were so outnumbered that the Reds could gang up on them and take them out because they feared them so much. So it's it's completely the opposite of how it is presently no. in the book. Yeah. Right. And and probably gives some good insight on why the Silvers work so hard to maintain appearances and yes. also to keep Reds in their place. Because they know that if <laughs> the Reds do start to overthrow them, they can completely turn things on their head because of the past. Right. Yeah. Okay. So now we've seen the broadcast. Farley has claimed responsibility for this attack mm -hmm. on the Capitol for the Scarlet Guard. 
what kind of situation does that put Mare in in this bar? Uh, she knows that she shouldn't be there because all of the Silvers are angry. And not only are they angry because they just love taking anger out on Reds, they're angry at Reds. Yeah, now they have a reason to flip from being angry at the Lakelanders and being angry at Reds. Yeah. So they're clearly targeting Reds at this point. And Mare's first thought is, I need to get out of here, and then I need to go find Giza. Like, I need to make sure she's okay. Because, like, Silvers are, like, peeling reds like bananas at this point in the streets, yeah. <laughs> pretty much. Like, all of these different Silvers are using their different abilities on reds to try and figure out who the Scarlet Guard is. And if the red doesn't know, legitimately doesn't know, the Silvers will not believe them and kill them just to get... Just to get information. Just to scare them at this point. Right. And that's it's a thing that Mira at this moment is freaking out because she's surrounded by Silvers as a red and she needs to get her sister out of here <laughs> to safety. So she's freaking out. She's not noticing, though, and maybe this is something that may come to her later as we go through the books, but clearly Farley knows this. Reds are going to see this and see that the Silvers, as we were discussing, aren't unbeatable, aren't unbreakable, and aren't gods. They're not unshakable. And they're Even not they have unshakable. Their... They freak out over this bombing that looks weak. Yeah. And that's the thing that the Silvers don't want. It's an insecurity that the Silvers don't want Reds to see. Right. We're seeing, we as the readers are seeing the crack in the Silvers mm -hmm. at this moment. So, so does is she able to find, Mar is Mary able to find her sister and get out at this point? Yeah. She finds Giza, and they immediately start heading for the gate to leave. And uh, Giza asks Mare if they got them, if she got the money that they needed. And she didn't, because this all happened. Mm -hmm. So she's not able to get any kind of money. They're just trying to get out, um, I think, at this point, right? Yeah. So what happens next? Well, real quick, I have a question that I want to ask. Um... Mare uh, has a thought about what would happen if she was captured by the Silvers, and they asked her what she knew, and she said, what would happen to my family and the stilts if I told them what I know? Why do you think Mare is considering honesty straight off the bat? And why not? why not just lie and say she doesn't know? Because... The, she's been seeing these reds who are telling the truth and don't know anything, and they're still getting killed, and she's thinking, if I just came clean, they may kill me, but, like, I could save myself from what happened to these reds before they died. I think it's just she knows that they may kill her, but they won't necessarily have to hurt anybody else. Yeah, it'll just be Mare that pays for it, not the family. Yeah. But if she lies and says she doesn't know anything, wouldn't it be the same? Do you think they would bother to track down her family if she says she doesn't know anything? I guess it's just... She figures it'd be better to come clean 
and tell them before they have the chance to really hurt her and to just say she knows something and if they kill her, they kill her. Yeah. Than to have to worry about, like, a full interrogation. Yeah. I just thought that that was interesting that her first thought was to tell the truth and not to lie. Also, if they really think she knows something, they could just get, like, a whisper. True story, yeah. And then she wouldn't be able to hide anything. But even at this point, she doesn't know that much about what all they're all capable of. Even from her point of view, you know what I'm saying? But, yeah. She's just immediately thinking, I mean, I'm going to have to say something eventually. So, why would I immediately lie? Right. I'm going to wind up telling the truth. Alright, and then what happens from there? Uh... Disa finds out that Mare didn't get any money. Mm-hmm. And they're going to go home empty-handed. Yeah. So, Giza just trying to help. Just wanting to uh, at least get something for Mare. Tries to steal from a silver. Giza's not nearly as good at it as Mare is. And so, they get caught. Giza gets caught trying to pickpocket a silver. And Mare tries to say it was her, right? Mm -hmm. She tries to take responsibility. Yeah. She's trying to say it was her idea, it was her fault, if they're going to punish anybody, punish her. And it does not work. And what do they, what do these, uh, what do they do? What do the silvers do? They, uh, one of the silvers comes over, another silver comes over, and winds up uh, breaking Giza's sewing hand, the hand that she uses to sew. So clearly she doesn't have a job because she can't sew anymore. Wow. Yeah. I mean, they could have killed her, so I guess it could have been worse, but... Did, like, so did the Silvers do this on purpose? Do they see that she, like, is there any way for them to tell that she, that's what she does? She's a seamstress and she used her hands when they crushed her hand? Or did they just crush her hand because she's picked, she stole something and you crush, break her hand that she steals with, she can't steal again. You know what I'm saying? I think that's probably more it. I, I think it's both. Because how would they know which hand? Because they only broke one hand. Right. Um... I think it's because they know so much about the Reds because of how they control them that they knew that she was a seamstress. Like, they knew what her job was and they knew that that was, you know... Not anymore. Exactly. Was. That was her job. Yeah. So, and of course, this is going to be devastating to Mare. Yeah. This sucks. So... And that's another one of the great... Cliffhanger, cliffhanger chapters, chapters in yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah, gets The her, author's really good at that. Giza gets her hand crushed, and now we know she's no longer going to be able to support the family. So not only is Mare not having any money to get herself and Kalorin out of conscription, now Giza can't su- support the family, and she's going to mm-hmm. be take. She's going to end up having to go to war. So yeah. Kind of a depressing bummer ending to that chapter, but there's a lot of those in here. Mm-hmm. But that makes you want to read the next chapter. Exactly. Um, so, any thoughts on uh, Chapter 4? Any additional thoughts anything you want to go over? One thing that I know um, Mom said she wanted to go over was uh, the different silvers that we've seen and the different abilities that we've seen so far because you see a lot more in Chapter 4. Right. Let's go all the way back. So, in the early 
first two chapters we had a whisper, right? Mm-hmm. Versus a strong and a arm. strong arm. Yeah. Which the strong arms are kind of like the Hulk, Hulk. almost. Except it's harder to tell physically, right. obviously. Impenetrable, Impenetrable toughness. Toughness, super strong, super strong. Mm-hmm. The whisperers, however, can basically get into your mind and control your mind. Yeah. Really. They can read your mind, control your mind, change your mind. If they're powerful enough, they can basically completely change a person. Mess with, mess with your memories. Yeah. Make you do things to yourself. Yeah. Or to anybody else. So right. they're very dangerous. Okay. And then in chapter three, we saw a telki. Yeah. And a telki is... They have telekinetic abilities, so they can move things with their mind. Okay. And then uh, in chapter four, we meet a nymph. Yeah. They can control water. Does it, Do they create water, or do they control water that's around them? They control water that's around them. Okay. They cannot create it or anything like that. They can just use it. So if there's no water nearby, like if they're in a desert, then they're pretty much useless. And you said the telkis were did what? They have telekinetic abilities, so they can move things. I gotcha. Yeah. That's telekinesis. Yeah. And then the last one that we meet in Chapter 4 is the person that Gisa tries to pickpocket. And that person is a cloner. Mm-hmm. So tell us what a cloner does. As uh, pretty evident by the name, they can clone themselves. And uh, the clones, I'm assuming it would take a lot of energy and a lot of, you know, focus to keep those clones there. Because, I mean, they can speak and they can act separately from the base person. Yeah, they can touch things, grab things. It's yeah. not just like a projection. It's a whole other being there. Yeah. So I can imagine it's very difficult to control and to keep up, but very powerful when used correctly. Yeah. So is this what we've seen so far, those five? I believe that's it. At this point. At I know this there point. are more. Um, so the telke, the telekinetic, that's going to be telekinetic abilities. That's going to be different than the whisper. Whisper controls your mind. Yeah. Can mess with your memories, make you do things. The telke uses their mind to basically manipulate objects. Correct? Yeah. A whisper messes with your mind. The telke uses their mind to do, to like interact lift with. Lift a car. Yeah. To interact like with the, the rest of the world. Yeah. Completely yeah. separate thing. All right. Anything else? Uh, that's all I can think of. Yeah, that's all I can think of. Just remember, we've got two references to Red as the Dawn now. Mm-hmm. That's something to remember. And two references to Lightning Strikes. To Lightning yeah. Strikes, when, as from Mayor's point of view, talking about getting like an idea. Like an idea or, yeah. yeah. Which, all that will come back into play. But I think that covers it. So next time, we will jump into chapters 5 and 6 and kind of see what the fallout of Gisa's injury is. We Maybe might, 7. We might get into 7, depending, because there's that those three chapters kind of almost have to go together. They flow bit. together really well. And then the next chapter is big. All right, so we will see you next time. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Have a great week. Bye. Bye.